And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So I don't really know what to do here because I've basically been trying to do big picture podcasts talking about, well, the wizards aren't, well, they're wizarding. They're doing wizard stuff. And I don't really know what to do when the wizards stop doing wizard stuff, but we're going to do a podcast because the wizards are playing with some fire. They, uh, they lost last night against the Clippers. It broke a five game winning streak. It was the definition of of a schedule loss, the second night of a back-to-back after beating the Lakers in overtime the night before. The Clippers are obviously one of the best teams in the league, and they looked like it against the Wizards. And, you know, the Wizards actually trended in the opposite direction in that game from what a team normally will on the second night of a back-to-back. You know, normally if a team is going to play well on the second night of a back-to-back, they, you know, keep it close in the first half, and then they look exhausted in the second half. And, The Wizards fell down 24, and they actually cut it to five by the end of the third quarter, kind of doing the Wizards stuff they normally do, falling down double digits and and fighting back. I I actually thought, even though they ended up losing by 19 or whatever it was to the Clippers, I actually thought they they played pretty well, given the circumstances. They've got Denver on Thursday night, and I have been standing on the Skype line. Uh, this is true. I uh, I'm also often not not as good on a, on the on a back to back, but technically we haven't podcasted for a little bit, so I should be I should be well rested in theory. Well, we, you should be rejuvenated. This is this is literally the first time that I've been covering the Wizards. Like my first time since joining the Wizards beat that I've covered a four game winning streak, let alone a five game winning streak. We're t- we're talking about we're about to talk about good basketball and give some good vibes to people. We we are. I, I tweeted this last night. I honestly don't think it got the attention it deserved. So you know, I don't know what to say. But uh, I think I like I think last night was the first game since the playoffs in 2018 against Toronto, in which. Anybody watching a Wizards game would be asking the question, wait, are they actually good? Because after they lost to Toronto, it was a disaster for the next, you know, almost three seasons or whatever. And even when they go into like the last games against Portland, the Lakers, nobody went into those games asking the question of the Wizards actually good. They were just like, okay, well, you know, they're playing a little bit better. Let's see what happens. But when you beat Portland and the Lakers and then you're playing the Clippers, like if they actually had beaten the Clippers, we would have had to reassess completely what we're talking about and we're even doing that a little bit right now but that only happens because they just won these games so i i actually thought last night was i'm not saying that they are good or we are great or anything we'll discuss but like i i think that aspect was interesting like to your point of like you haven't covered a winning streak that was the first game in forever in which it was like well, wait a minute <laughs> what's going on here yep no it, it it was i don't know i guess i'll ask you off the bat then do you think they're good are they good do we cover a good team? Um, 
I can't tell you how many, I can't even tell you how many times I've texted to people in the last week, something along the lines of, wait a second, do I cover a super team now? Is that how this works? <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously it feels like they're going to kind of go as Russell Westbrook goes on some level. I mean, Bradley Beal, I mean, obviously, you know, all-star starter, leads league in scoring, all that. But, you know, his level of consistency, not just in terms of production, but in terms of just kind of everything that kind of goes that you want out of a, out of a main player. I mean, is there pretty much every night. You know, for, for the people who question his energy at times, go back and look at that Lakers game. I wouldn't say LeBron James was playing full out the whole game, right? Because, you know, you can't over a full season, and this is a crazy year with the pandemic. So I think Bradley Beal is doing more than fine. And, you know, some of their deeper role players, you know, they're starting, you know, uh, you're going to have up and downs with with the young guys like Hachimura and Debbie Avdia and Garrison Matthews. But Russell Westbrook, that was the reason why, you know, we, we all kind of thought to some degree they had six or seven seed upside because you're putting together two all NBA level guards all on the same team. And if they play at that level and Bertans is making shots, why can't this team be in that playoff mix on the above the play in games? But then obviously the year went the way it did in large part, because, not just solely, but in large part because Westbrook was not even close to being that guy. And when he's played at a higher level, you know, we've seen them win. They, they beat the Nets when he played at a high level. He's played better during this uh, winning streak for the most part. So, uh, you know, I, I think it kind of comes and goes with the him. And then there's other, there's a few other factors. Obviously it's not just uh, him and Beal, but to me, like it's ultimately that. So if you tell me we're, we're seeing this sort of all NBA ish level version of Westbrook, then yeah, you might be covering a, a good team, but you know, I can't also ignore everything that's happened this season and understanding that, you know, there are still questions on, on multiple fronts to say flat out. But it is a different conversation than we were having probably even the last time I was on the podcast, um, you know, where it was more about, you know, sort of questioning the team and thinking about the future than it is talking about the present. Yeah, there was a point, And to your point, I think a lot of this is about Westbrook. There was a point earlier this year where only like 13 percent of his shots were coming at the rim. That's according to basketball reference. And that, that number's up to 20% right now. I mean, he's getting to the rim so much better. He's finishing there. Actually, a lot of the times he's not finishing there. He's missed a lot of layups during this stretch. But but with Westbrook, so much of his production is is more how, like, he's going to put up 20, 10, and 10 almost no matter what or close to it. So much is for, of his production is more how he gets to his 20, 10, and 10 than it is what he ends up with. You know, ultimately, you feel like he's had so so many games where he's finished with 20, 10, and 10, and it's been better than twenty five his 25, 12, and 12 game. And it's because it just matters to him, like, if for him, how he gets to those. Is he getting to the rim? Our defense is starting to collapse in on him more because... He's attacking the rim so much. You know, during the Lakers game, he took 25 shots and 19 were in the paint. That was not a thing that we saw from Westbrook early in the year by any means. You know, the first time we saw that all season was that second Nets game, the 149-146 one where Westbrook at the game winner. And that was the first time we kind of saw him attacking relentlessly. And he's gone in and out a little bit throughout the year. And the last, you know, however many games, the last few games, it's just been a whole, 
it's been a whole other level and it's not it's not throwback attacking Westbrook because he's not dunking on guys he's not always even jumping over guys and he is missing shots at the rim but look I I very rarely have a problem with 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 a guy missing a layup it's like yeah he should he, he should maybe make some more of them but that's getting you the line and ultimately a guy who is only hitting 58% of his layups is still taking really, I mean, you know, 58% shooting is good. The, the, the tough part on the layup is actually being able to get there and he's getting there well now. And it's not just because he's putting his head down and dribbling. He's actually making a conscious effort to do it. And I asked him about that and he said that it was just because of his body. Uh, He just, he feels better with the quad. He feels healthier you know, the, the catch and goes on the weak side have been so huge for him. Bill runs a pick and roll on one side of the court. Westbrook's on the other side. He receives a swing pass, and he is just taking off upon receiving that pass and going straight at the rim. And those are huge, and, and they kind of create spacing in their own special way that he doesn't do with his shooting. Uh, he, he, he looks like a now he's going to have nights where he just doesn't look good and the defense is a problem i mean that's he he might be the main defensive culprit i don't know if he's the main defensive culprit of the season but he's certainly one of them uh, with the way that he just doesn't really stop the ball and you know his team his team defense and and him just kind of straying off of guys and leaving shooters open it's been a problem all year but during this streak i mean even with the percentages down he's he's been on the nights where i should say the percentages are down it's like he's been quite good I mean, he looks like, and he just looks like a different guy than he did at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, with with with, with that question, he's look, he, he looks different. I, um, uh, I, I don't usually do homework for this podcast. I just sort of wing it, and uh, I think uh, you you appreciate my recklessness at times. Uh, but I tried yeah. to look up a couple of things here. Don't do, don't uh, do your th- homework. Well, you know, I mean, I, I I tried to. I was just curious about a couple of things, and this isn't anything that earth shattering by any stretch. I'm not pretending I did a ton, but I was just noticing that during this last six games, um, Westbrook has made zero three pointers. And on the one hand, you might, I might be like, well, that's obviously not good because he has shot some, but on the other hand, he's only taken 10, which means, you know, that that's just, you know, you know, it's less than two a game. That's actually notable because that's, he's averaging over three a game during the season and obviously you know he's not a good three-point shooter and you don't want him you know ideally you want him like you said attacking the basket so to whatever degree that's been more of a conscious effort on his part or just the game flow or whatever yes 0 for 10 not good but you know i could maybe make the case it's better than him going you know three for uh <laughs> you know what you know three for 20 something you know you know what i mean if, if he's if he's jacking up more so so that's a good, uh, you know. I think on some level that's a good sign. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, they're only, I won't say they're only going to go so far as to how well he plays, but he has to play well because he's not one of those guys. Like if hypothetically Bradley, well, maybe not Bradley Beal, I guess, but like there are other players who, if they're having, they're they're not a hundred percent or they're off. Maybe you can sort of hide them a little bit while they're on the court, try to take advantage of best you can. You can't hide Westbrook because he doesn't want to hide. He's he's front and center at all times with, with ball dominance and, and and all that. So if he's not playing well, it's going to drag everything down. And we saw that obviously for a lot of this season. So that's why it is so important that he uh, 
plays better. You feel it looks better. And, you know, in terms of taking less threes, I mean, that's that's a good sign, even if 0 for 10 is uh, not 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 good. Yeah. I mean, that that's what you want. You want him limiting those threes. I mean, that was that's those those are turning into shots at the rim. You know, a lot of the shots that, that he could justify taking, they could be open catch and shoot threes where he gets the ball on a swing and and he can justify at least justify to himself taking those shots and instead he's he's getting the ball on the go and he's attacking he's playing both halves of back-to-backs now which tells you a little something about about where he's at with his health I mean I I I think uh you know this is this is this is very helpful I I I will say the weirdest trend of Russell Westbrook's career is Normally, as great players get older, the thing that keeps them going is their shooting, right? You know, like we imagine that Stephen Curry is going to age well because, you know, at some point, you know, even when he's, you know, too old to run an offense or something, which obviously he's not close to that point. But whenever he gets there, you know, he'll, he'll be able to run around and run around screens and just be just a dominant off ball shooter. Like kind of how just like Dirk was able to be really good into his late thirties because the guy was just seven feet and could shoot from anywhere. And, and then there's the other crew of great player who becomes a better shooter. They just add that skill, you know, Jason Kidd adding his shooting skill throughout his career. Right. And it is so weird that Westbrook has gone the actual opposite direction. Like I, I know, I know people who who thought for a long time. You know what? At some point, Russell Westbrook is going to learn how to shoot. He's going to be able to at least be competent as a shooter. And the reasoning was because a lot of times scouts will look at your free throw percentage and say if you hit a good number from from the line, then then you can figure it out. That's one of the reasons why people are so concerned with. Denny Avdia's three-point three shooting. Even though he's shooting 37 or whatever it is from three this year, he has never had a year where he's hit anything close to an acceptable number from the line. So people wonder how much of a mirage that is and and whether he's going to be able to learn how to shoot. That's one of the indicators. And with Westbrook, he was like an 80-something percent free throw shooter for like forever, for like a decade in the NBA. He, All right, so he was basically over 80% Every single year, except for one year, his first eight or nine years in the league. And that one year he was below 80, he was at 78%, and it was his second year in the league. And every other year, he's 84, 82, 80, 83, 84, 81, 85. And then, three years ago, he shoots 74%. Two years ago, he shoots 66. Last year, he's at 76. And this year, he's down to 60. And... And I remember when that trend started, I was covering the Thunder that season when the trend started. He shoots 74%, and early in the season, it was even worse. And he kind of hinted at early in that year. That was the year where the NBA started to really enforce delay of game. And as part of their enforcing delay of game, they said that technically free throw shooters were not allowed to walk beyond the half court line or else they would be called for a delay of game between free throws. They couldn't walk between that uh, beyond the half court line. And that was part of Westbrook's free throw routine. He used to walk 
to half court and back. And he couldn't do that anymore because it would be called for a delay of game. So he had to change his free throw routine. And and Russell is an incredible creature of habit. And and at the time, that was kind of the reason we all attributed to, oh, you know what, this, this could be it. And he hinted at it one time. It was the only time I've ever heard of him or heard him saying anything along those lines, hinting at that being a reason for the free throw shooting. That being said, like, that... That couldn't be the reason for this kind of fall off four years later. It's it's just incredible to see such such a fall off shooting free throws from a guy who was like a really good free throw shooter. It's it's very weird. It's just very it's just weird. I don't know what to make of it. I, I really don't. It's I just know it's it's just weird. You know, and one of the again, as I'm looking up the, the, some of the stats here during these this last six games, like one of the reasons why Washington has been successful has been they've been really good at the free throw line. Here are the percentages of guys who've taken at least 13 attempts in that stretch. Neto, 92.3. Robin Lopez, 79.2. Mo Wagner, 73.3. Bertans, 93. Hachimura, 88. Beal, 88.4. I mean, that's all really good. And then Russell Westbrook, 16 of 34, 47.1%. Um, he is definitely uh, a massive problem there, for sure, on top of the 0 for 10 from the from three-point line. And you're right, it is weird. I mean, it's one of the, you know, obviously, you know, when, when you look at, like, prospects, you're always like, well, you know, can they shoot? <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the free throw concerns and, and, and whether a guy can shoot. That was that was the thing with Jan Vesely that raised red flags right off the bat. But in a lot of cases, especially with per, you know truly perimeter players like you mentioned, Jason Kidd or Magic Johnson or some others, you know, history shows that you can figure out how to shoot. It is literally a repetition thing in most cases. Uh, and it is so odd, like you said, that it has gone the other way for this guy. Um, you know, I mean, we, we see in baseball over the years, you know, the Chuck Knobloch situations where guys, you know, can't make simple plays that they were able to do, you know, the Ricky and Keels or whatever. But that, I, I mean, that doesn't seem like that's what we're talking about here. So it, it is super weird to um, to see it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I guess I wait. Did you answer the question, by the way, if they're actually good or did you just make me answer that? I just made you answer it. Uh, well, yeah, let's let's go. What do you got? Uh, so here's my working theory. <laughs> here's my working theory. Uh, they're 11 and 18 on the year. I I think the like first four games after COVID kind of don't count. They were still missing guys. Guys were out of shape. They they get right. killed by those four games. Like they, those are not a proper representation of the type of team they are. You know. So, so I think those, those kind of don't count. If you take those four out, which you can't do for the season, but you can do when you're trying to figure out what kind of team they are, because they're not a good representation of what kind of team they are. They're, they're 11 and 15, 11 and 15, 11 and 14. I think they're probably something like that kind of team, like a, like a hovering around 500 team that's capable of playing well, but isn't going to do it consistently because it depends on whether you're getting this Westbrook we've seen for the last five or six games. And remember, as part of the stretch, he still had games where he just is not shooting a high enough percentage to keep the offense up. Uh, and, and that's going to hurt you when you're playing really good teams eventually. 
Uh, you know, you're you're going to have games where Westbrook looks like he did against, say, the Lakers, where even in the first half when he's missing shots, it's like he took 13 shots in the first half, but 11 of them were in the paint. It's like, that's fine. I really don't have, like, those are good shots. They're going to go in eventually. And he finishes 13 for 25 and has 30 some odd points. It's like, okay, that was trending in that direction. That's a great Westbrook game. He, he was really good in that game. and excellent in the second half. You're going to get some of those, and and because he's 32 years old, you're probably not going to get exclusively those. Uh, you know, the defense, I, I still wonder about. I know there's this whole the defense is back sort of thing. Mm, I don't know. I, 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 think, uh, I think we should learn from last year about overanalyzing 10-game samples in the middle of a season during a stretch where they're predominantly playing subpar offenses. I mean, last year after the trade deadline, they were 14th in defensive efficiency, but they also had a pretty easy schedule and and post-trade deadline stats tend to be really wonky for teams that are that are losing teams and the bubble added just weird circumstances to everything and they went into this year thinking, okay, you know what? If if this is a middle of the pack defense, then they're good to go and and they weren't. They were just, you know, bottom 5 right off the bat. And and maybe they're not bottom five, but I I still don't see them as middle of the pack because I just I don't I don't see the personnel to get them there. Ultimately, right. So so I think there's somewhere in that like you know I I thought they'd be around five hundred this year coming into the year, and and I think they're probably somewhere there or a little bit below there. That might be enough to make the play in. Like they have how many games left this year? They're they're what twenty. Nine games into the season, right? Mm-hmm. So they have yep. forty-three games left. Like they, oh, that's that's an insane amount of games. I mean, it feels like they've already. I mean, it feels like we've already witnessed eight thousand games, yeah. considering how this year has gone. I so. know. So like, they, they could go if they go twenty and twenty-three, or twenty-one and twenty-two, they c- could finish tenth in the East. I mean, like, it's not like they need yeah, to go I'm, on some crazy run to get into the play-in tournament. Right. Also, good is real. So there's two ways of looking at what does good mean, because I just lived this with the football team. Good is, are you good with your perception of what that term means, or are you good relative to everybody else around you? The Washington football team finished 7-9 and nine last year. I don't know if anybody thought they were good, but that was good enough to win the division and make the playoffs, and therefore the perception was that they were a little bit better than they probably were. Plus, they did win five of their last seven games, so they were on a good run. There were some caveats within that, but regardless, that, that, that happened. In this case, I mean, insane as it is, they're only four games out of the four seed. Now, there are nine teams or eight teams or whatever it is in between. So you can't just simply say, well, that they're four games behind Indiana, or four and a half behind Indiana, or no, four. But, I mean, they're not that far away. And I think if you look at the East and you think like, okay, in a, in a first-round series or, you know, in a playoff series, I know it doesn't work this way. I'm not going to say exactly. But, like, who do they have a chance to beat? Okay, forget Philadelphia, forget Brooklyn, forget Milwaukee. I think we could probably all agree on that. Indiana is the is a four seed. Like, I, I, I would give Indiana the benefit of the doubt, but at the same point, Bradley Beal will be the best player in that series if that were to actually happen, right? But Indiana's been, you know, more depth, been there, done that, whatever. Toronto is the five seed. They're starting to play better. Obviously, historically, they've been better the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, 
this isn't the title team with Kawhi. Boston's obviously underachieved significantly, but I would think most people would project Washington would lose a Boston series. Miami is further down the list. They're a 10 seed, but now they're starting to get hot. They've won seven of, of 10. Uh, obviously, everybody would pick them to win. But, like, I guess my point is that, like, th- they are good relative to – there's only three teams in the league where you can kind of say definitively they're not as good as those teams – and again, I wouldn't say that they are as good as some of the other ones I just mentioned, but everybody in the East is struggling. So the definition of good isn't just in isolation. It is also relative to the league. And if this version we've seen the last week or so with Westbrook playing better, um, you know, their defense being a little bit better is something that they can sustain. And I'm with you. I'm not sitting here saying that defense will be sustainable for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and I'm not going to overlook all the other, everything that's happened prior to the last six games. But like, it's not like the rest of the league isn't kept. It, the East isn't catchable. They are. I mean, Char- the, New York, the Knicks, Char- Chicago, Cleveland. Remember, Cleveland was like this team that was on the rise. They've lost. 10 in a row or something like that, or nine in a row or whatever it is. So that, and they're not below Washington. So I, I think like I said, good is relative to wh- where you are with the East. And I think it, they're good enough to even be able be, forget playing them. Well, I guess playing a seven, the seven to 10, right? So I guess they're good enough. Yes. To get into that range. But um, yeah, the East is just largely bad. So uh, they can comp- contend with most of these teams, except for probably the top, you know, five or so. And then it's just a matter of can they be consistent enough to actually do anything. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paolo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The uh, the starting lineup is is good. I mean, I think Scott Brooks found something with that first unit. So they're, they are now the new starters. The Westbrook, Beal, Matthews, Hachimura, Wagner starting lineup has now played more than any other lineup for them. And they are plus 2.8 per 100 possessions. And that's not, like, unbelievable. But one of the big things for them 
was they were just getting destroyed to start games. And what's kind of weird is they are, but it's now, but it's not because of the starting lineup. They're falling down big early in games, but it's not because of the starters. They're they're winning the starters minutes and, and winning the starters minutes. Shockingly, it's a very simple point, but <laughs> winning with your starters is is a pretty important element to winning the damn game. And that unit is playing well together. If you delve into the numbers on like, okay, the Wizards play well when so-and-so is on the court, the two guys who constantly come up, it's not Beal, it's not Westbrook. Actually, Westbrook's on-offs are really, really bad. Uh, it's Garrison Matthews and it's Mo Wagner. And, and those are the guys. Hey, you just... When those guys are in lineups, those lineups are doing well. And the starting lineup was not doing great. And they insert Matthews and they insert Wagner. And I think those guys have played well. I I, I think you'd like to see Matthews get some more shots, to be honest. Uh, and that's not just because of me pounding the Garrison Matthews drum. It's just like if, if he's going to play 20 minutes a game and he's only going to get three shots, four shots. Like that's not enough to, to really turn him into a consequential floor spacer. You'd like to see him get, you know, four or five threes or something like that. Uh, It's not a huge thing, but I think that would help them if you were able to get some more shots from a, from a spacing perspective. And, and if he's a, then you can identify if he's hot that night or whatever too, because he's clearly capable of, getting hot and and hitting four threes in a game. And that obviously opens up your offense, especially if that sort of production comes on the same night that, that Bertans is hot too, because if you have those two guys on the floor together with the two guards, then, and both those guys are shooting the lights out, then it's like, that's a hard offense to guard. And the thing is they need three point shooting. I, I I would ask you, this as a trivia question, uh, but I already did. Uh, the Wizards have <laughs> the Wizards have two guys this year who have three point percentages in their rotation right now who have three point percentages above league average, and Bertans is like a fraction of a percentage point above league average. It's him and Matthews, and that's it. And, and they need the shooting. I mean, they're way, way, way. I don't know where they are, but they're way down near maybe at the bottom. They might be dead last in three point percentage. That's possible. If they're not dead last, they're they're bottom five. They've been bottom five there. And they they need the they need the shooting. And even during this winning streak, they they haven't necessarily done it with three point shooting. They've been good at getting to the line. That's great. And they've been defending a lot better. Um But they could they could use some extra three point production. Cause like that Clippers game last night, it was like they shoot a really good percentage. But you're they're not they're not getting up the shots. Uh on other nights it's they're getting up the shots, but the accuracy isn't there. Uh and and I think playing Matthews has has been really helpful. I think playing Wagner has been really helpful. Those guys are energetic. I think they're helping with the defense, especially Matthews, who's been really, really active. I think he Denny plays Abia with energy. What you say? Yeah, he plays with he, he plays with energy. Same with Mo Wagner. I mean, they, it, regardless of whether they're good, <laughs> you know, I mean, they play with 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 energy. And I always think when you have the star players, you know, like like a Beal and a Westbrook, 
you the other guys maybe at least like the last one or two need to be specific do specific things and doing the dirty work so to speak is that that's clearly Mo Wagner's role and uh, yeah you got to have a shooter out on the court you know Matthews or, or Bertans pretty much I think have to be one of them has to be on the court at all times and uh, it, Matthews does, it's not just that he can make a shot he plays with you know some I don't know if it's cockiness or just uh, it's uh, whatever cockiness. but he's he, yeah, I mean, he, you can he, say it's cockiness. Plays. It's blatantly yeah. cockiness. The dude, the yeah. dude barrels into anything that's in front of him. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, and he plays. Yeah, and you can you can feel that. I think that we talked about this earlier in the year. You know why? Why it made sense? If you know, while maybe it's questionable to 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 have Troy Brown sitting out because of the first round pick status, the reason why. I could imagine Brooks going for a Matthews over Brown is for sort of the body language almost. Brown's more passive. Matthews is more uh, cocky. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that kind of uh, that kind of works. Yeah, I forget who said it. Might have been Drew Gooden. I don't remember who said it, but it was well said. Somebody said Garrison Matthews defends like a football player. It's like, yeah, that's what he does. He seeks out contact. He seeks out physicality. He he fights through and even into screens. Uh, he he took out a Faku Compazzo on that three like a week ago, where he legit just clotheslined the guy. Uh, Drew Gooden called it a good foul. I'm going to disagree with Drew. He just clo he just clotheslined. The Richard Jefferson the next day said that wasn't a closeout, it was a closed line. And 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 it was. He defends like a football player. But for the most part, that's been a good thing for them. They need the physicality. They need but the extra the- effort plays. And they need guys who are going to see a screen and be like, I don't care that you're in my way. I'm finding a way around it. Because they are really struggling. They struggle on screen defense. And having a guy who does that is very helpful. And he's been good. Um. Again, small sample size, but you know, since I did look up some stuff here, I'm going to use it to show like I at least tried. Uh, so during this six games, the the lineup they use the most is the is the 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 one we mentioned with Matthews and Wagner with Westbrook, Beal, and Hachimura. Um, it's a net rating of plus five point six. Um, you know, a that's solid. Good. Whatever. That's a very good number. Yeah. When you when you take when you keep the same four but swap out Bertan, you swap out Matthews for Bertans. It's only 17 minutes, so even smaller sample size. Minus 36.4 net rate, defensive net rating of 131.7. So uh, again, you know, 17 minutes is not much. You could just have had five sh- crappy minutes, and uh, you know, it completely skews the whole thing. But as a sort of interesting, you know, you the one, you know, one guy is a two-way player, and the other guy you just paid 80 million dollars, and everything else is the same, and the number is uh, significantly different. And you have to imagine it's the like you said, it's sort of the work on both ends of the court, not just the shooting. Yeah, uh, Berton's been very all or nothing this year, too. You know, it's just it's it's very weird to watch him because like he's honest. Chase Hughes tweeted out last night that he the stretch he's in right now is the longest streak of his career where he's made two plus threes in a game. I forget what the number is. He's made two plus threes in some amount of games. It's the longest streak of his career. And it sure doesn't feel that way. I mean, he's had some huge games. He had the 14 out of 17 stretch in back-to-back games where he was five for six one night and then nine for 11 the other night. But it sure doesn't feel like he's hitting those two threes every single night. you know. And part of that is because, for the most part, 
he gets a, you know, seven to ten every night. And when you shoot two for seven or two for nine, it doesn't feel all that remarkable. But I don't know. That's that from Chase kind of kind of blew my mind because I was like, no, no way is that what's happening here. It, it just doesn't feel like that, you know. Uh, aside from those two games where he was really hot and the Phoenix game. You know, the the Clippers game, it wasn't even that he didn't shoot well. The Clippers threw everything at him, and they were having Kawhi guard him, and they just were trying to make sure he didn't get shots at all, and it worked. He only took four threes, and, uh, you know, the, the Wizards just weren't able to get him his shots. Uh, but but for the most part, right, like it just, I don't know. Does that set, is that set as crazy as I think it is? I thought that was a great find by Chase. I couldn't believe it. That That is interesting. I mean, I... <laughs> You know, during this whole pandemic, I've tried to uh, be a little more, uh, you know, I- introspective on, on various fronts. And one aspect is sort of the idea of, you know, what is your perception of, of of life? If you view things negatively, the world around you suddenly becomes negative and, and to some degree it flips the other way. The perception of Bertans last year was, I'm not saying he was an afterthought, but like, you know, the they they got a guy who was going to be a, some sort of a role player for them. They didn't it didn't cost them anything. He wasn't making any big money, and he came in and made it had because he had games where he made a bunch of threes, and then uh, you know it just it was a, just a, a feel good story all the way around. Like oh, this guy's making shots, even on the games maybe he was off. We didn't have ex- major expectations. Then he has the year he has. Then he signs an eighty million dollar contract, and even if he's having he's not having the same year because of the. With, with he was you know out of shape and the, the pandemic and all that, but you know now his misses feel more noticeable because of the fact that we have higher expectations. So that yeah, I would agree with you that stat would sort of floor me because it doesn't feel like he's having a good a, a, a good year or anything remotely consistent. But that's a lot of it, I suspect, on some level because we view him differently than we did a year ago. It's a hell of a lesson in perception right now. You're getting deep. Was that was that was that reasonable or uh, I don't know? I'm, no, that was uh, well, I, that was very. I mean, he is missing more than last year, but you're right. It it is a lesson in perception. I mean, he's shooting thirty seven percent, and a lot of those have come in like some some big games, which have propped it up. And I bet you, if you take away three of those games, he's shooting thirty three. But you are right about the perception of it. That said, the perception is justified. When you, when you, yeah, and it's, 100%. it's not just about like, oh, you're getting paid the money. It's, it's about that. It's about the role. It's about the, the team relies on that guy for that role. And if he doesn't do it on a night in night out basis, the team suffers. The offense looks totally different. I mean, for all the, the wizards don't have a pro- the wizards have, have this thing that they say after games and I get why they say it. They're not wrong in saying it. Uh, but players, you know, Brooks, everyone says it. It's like scoring's not our problem. It's the defense. You shore up the defense and you're there. It's like you're not wrong in saying that. That is the correct thing to say. I get why you say it. But like when you break it down to granular levels, scoring's been a little bit of a problem. Like they're they're a bottom ten offense. And part of it is that they need the extra shooting and they rely on Berton so much for top of the line elite top five, top seven shooting performances on a consistent basis. And it's not that he hasn't been able to shoot well or shoot decently. It's that he hasn't been able to shoot 
top of the line because that's what they rely on from his role, you know, being absolutely top-notch elite. And he's had games where that's obviously happened. He goes 9 for 11 against Portland, goes for a career-high 35 points. Clearly, that happened against Portland. And when he has stretches where he hits two or three in a three-minute span, then it changes the offense. Like, defenses guard him differently, and the offense operates differently, and there's so much more space, and not just more space, but there's miscommunications on defense because they're worried about Bertans. It just completely changes the dynamic of what's happening on the floor. And so I, I get on nights where I see sometimes people criticize Brooks for playing him uh, even on nights when he's not making his shots, giving him 25-plus minutes. And and I, I actually agree with Brooks. I think he's doing the right things on those nights because because ultimately I don't believe that Bertans is the kind of guy who just because he's over five he can't see the ball go through the net one time and then hit a couple I mean we saw that in what was that oh the Portland game right it was the Portland game where he starts over whatever and then he finishes the game two for eight because he hit a couple big threes late in the game right and like that's why you leave him in because it 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 changes the offense when he's able to do that and i don't believe that starting 0 for 4 means that he's not going to hit three out of four at some point in the third quarter and you're just kind of waiting for that moment once that moment happens where he scores nine points in four minutes then you got something then that's what you're paying him for. So I get why you leave him in and you try to find those because that's how you reach your ceiling. That's how you reach the best version of yourself. It's with Bertans. It's just not coming as consistently as, uh, you know, the Wizards would hope. And, and yeah, no, for sure. But and he's had a couple of those huge games ha- came in the winning streak, though. Yeah, we'll say that. Yes. Um, to your point about the offense sort of, you know, not being uh, completely consistent, the the lineup that they've used the second most over this uh, stretch, 44 minutes, uh, has an offensive net rating of 91.9. And what that lineup doesn't have is Bradley Beal's not in it. It's Westbrook and Bertans along with Lopez, Neto, and Denny. And, you know, Lopez and Neto, that's not going to – they're never going to be your go-to offensive players. And Denny's still, you know, learning along the way. This is where you're paying Westbrook and Bertans to carry the load. And as we've discussed, you know, Westbrook's been up and down and uh, Bertans, like we just said, uh, you know, to some degree as well. So, um, you know, that like on some level it's, you know, Beal can't play 48 minutes and, you know, he can't play 40 minutes, you know, with his hair on fire at both ends of the court. He needs – you know, to, to get the most out of him, you've got to have to have somebody else step up. And those are the two guys. So, um, you know, uh, imagine what, you know, they, they could be doing if those guys start getting you know a bit more consistent for sure. No question. Anything else? Uh, anything on your mind? Anything on your mind you want to get off your chest here? Wizards wise, non wizards uh, wise or non wizards. Uh, we talk about it on the podcast. We can talk <laughs> things out, Ben. Uh, I don't think the world is prepared for what's going on in my head right now. Uh, no, I mean, I don't look, I mean, it was more enjoyable to watch the wizards over the last few games. And, you know, it's, it, it, uh, these, these late starts are always a bit of a disaster. I mean, not you and I are, you know, night owls on some level, but like, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the late nights are interesting, but like, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether anything here is remotely sustainable 
going forward. I mean, again, the, the you know the Clippers ultimately the end. You know, we'll, we'll look back at that one day, you know, later and say, oh well, they had a game where they got blown out. You know, we'll, we'll add it up into the, how many games they have lost by X amount of points, and that will be a game that goes into the mix. But you know, by and large, you know, they get them getting it down to what five points into the second half when they were getting smoked earlier, I think was a positive sign, all things considered. And, you know, on the flip side, part of this whole deal, we know we know how this works in sports. These other teams are looking past the Wizards. They're thinking we don't have to sort of go all out, even if, you know, you, you, you know if you're a fa- if you're listening to this and saying you should play hard all the time, you know, come on, be realistic. Do you go to you, when you're at your job every single day of your life? Are you killing it? I doubt it. No offense. Maybe you are, but I doubt it. So they're human too, and and you know they're they're not gonna every minute of every game go hardcore, and especially not against a team like the Wizards that you look at and think, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> you know, we we think we got this one. Uh, so can can they sustain their own play and then simultaneously do it when teams are starting to look at you in a very different. Uh, in, in a very different way, uh, especially, you know, you can't ignore Russell Westbrook, you know, uh, the, you know, if he's playing the way he plays, you know, high energy, both ends of the court up and down, you've got to be prepared for that. And so we'll see if, if they can, uh, if they can do that. I mean, Rui Hachimura has played better lately. Uh, you know, I still like, you know, Denny, it's, uh, you know, a little up and down is to be expected, but the positives are there. He hit that huge uh, three the other day. You, guard, you defended well in that Lakers game. So, I mean, there's positives. I mean, Neto has been good all year. I think, you know, I almost wonder if Scott Brooks wishes on some level he could have just played Neto from the start over Ish Smith. But obviously with Ish now out, he can do that without having any issue. So, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting group. They were more fun to watch, which for those of us who kind of have to watch, thank God. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, Rui's been good. Rui's been good. I, I think... Some of the, uh, you know, stuff about him becoming a top-notch defender has been overblown. He he still misreads stuff off the ball, but he he is becoming a better on-ball defender. He he he's just becoming feistier, is what it is. You know, I Rui kind of he's not a feisty person. You know, he's this kind of quiet, reserved guy. And I think sometimes when you watch somebody play basketball, their person, you know, you know, every once in a while you get a guy whose on-court personality is just very different from his off-court personality. And that's fine. That's not saying who you are on the court is who you are as a person. That's obviously not true. But there are some people who you watch play on the court. You see their personality in the court. Basketball is just a personality-filled sport, you know? And you see their personality in the court. And it's just the same as who they are as a person. And I think it's it's easier to judge that in basketball than it is in something like baseball, which isn't a game that allows players to show as much personality while playing it, you know? And and with Rui, I think his real-life personality comes through on the court a little bit, where he's this quiet, reserved guy. You know, he's not at all an aggressive person he's just like super super laid back all the time right and I think sometimes that comes through and I think his defense was amongst other things it was it was always missing a little bit of feistiness I think he's been a little feistier and I don't know if it's because of Westbrook it might be I mean he says it is so who am I to doubt that 
Westbrook is talking to him. I, I think Westbrook is pumping him up all the time. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think Westbrook is is behind the scenes going at him all the time to be a little more like Westbrook and a little less like Rui. That's a good thing, by the way. I, It's showing a little bit. You know, he's guarding LeBron and he's like waving a hand in his face while he's guarding LeBron. That wasn't a, a Rui thing. That wasn't a Rui move. He wasn't face guarding guys. He wasn't being kind of a pest. He was never really a pest like that. I mean, that's that's a cool development. You know, you can look at the numbers from this year to last year, and every single one of them with Rui, it's actually freaky. They're exactly the same. The conventional counting stats, the advanced numbers, anything. Every single stat of Rui's is like exactly the same as it was a year ago. Uh, there, there are little nuanced things though, just kind of like his feistiness off the ball. You know, Brooks has talked about how he's been better closing out on shooters, which I agree with, even though he's not perfect on it yet. Those little developments, those are, those are cool to see. And, and they're not giant leaps, but they're important ones. And, and I think that's come through in these last six games, uh, and I think two numbers that are important, which actually have been a little bit different, is that the three-point rate is up from last year, and the free-throw rate is up about 50% from where it was at last year. He had like a 25% free-throw rate last year, and now he's hovering somewhere around the high 30s, which is actually a good number. So so I I, I think he's better than he was last year. I don't think he's this demonstrably, you know, most improved candidate or anything like that, but I think he's better. And I think we're seeing it in the little, the, the little ticks in his game are just, are just getting a little bit better. Uh, I think, I think these last six games have been encouraging for him because he's, he's never really been a dirty work guy and he's doing a little more dirty work. And I think that's cool to see. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I still question his instincts, uh, sort of his basketball instincts. But uh, I think yeah, take the strides for what they are, and 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 we saw some uh, for for sure, without a doubt. All right. Well, I asked you if you want to talk about anything. You said no, and then I just started talking about Rui. So you can go to. I guess they're releasing the schedule by the time this podcast is up. The second half schedule might be up. So. Um, who cares about analyzing the schedule? I don't know. The Wizards are playing a lot of good teams. They're, they'll win some, they'll lose some. There's a schedule analysis before it even goes up. I don't even know it, but that's what it is. And you know what? I'm Hashtag stand, analysis. I stand by it. Uh, go to The Athletic DC, by the way. I have a story up there this morning uh, about Alex Len and kind of why he chose the Wizards. I know it's incredible timing, running... A story about Alex Len the day after he gets a DMP. But you know what? Far be it from me to try to predict this center rotation in which a different center leads the team in minutes every night. So I'm just throwing up the story. And uh, yeah, you know, Len, Len had went to Maryland and was really, really close with Ryan Richmond and David Adkins, both of whom were at Maryland when 
Len was there and are now with the Wizards. And the three of them just kind of always talked about how funny, how cool would it be if we had an NBA reunion? And Len says the reason that he chose the Wizards is because he wanted to play for those two guys in the NBA. And that was the reason that he wanted to go there. And he says he had interest from Brooklyn and interest from Milwaukee and uh, and ultimately chose the Wizards. And, and I kind of just wrote about the relationship between those three guys because they are so close. And, uh, you know, Len, Len had, I thought, some really funny quotes about a couple of them. Uh, so, so check that out over at the athletic DC. It's a nice story. It's a nice, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to have good vibes from wizards land. You know, this is my work environment covering a team that always loses. The vibes get tiring a little while. It's nice. It's nice to be having some, some good vibes. I think the lens story has some good vibes. If you're not a subscriber to the athletic DC, you can, uh, you can become one. And just become a subscriber to The Athletic altogether if you go to theathletic.com slash wizards after dark and you can sign up for The Athletic for $3.99 a month. And it's a great offer because you get to read every single Ben Standick story. And what is better than that? You get to read every single one of them and you get to read everything else on the site too. And that gets you your football coverage, your basketball coverage, your baseball coverage, your hockey coverage, everything that you want, everything sports coverage, all of our beat writers, all of our national reporters, everything. You get that if you sign up here at theathletic.com slash wizards after dark for $3.99 a month. And you can check out that Alex Len story while you're at it. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Tell your friends about Wizards After Dark. Leave reviews about Wizards After Dark. Give us five stars on iTunes or wherever else is asking you to give us stars and leave a review on iTunes. That always helps a little bit, too. I will be back with another episode. Uh, you know, we did like a one-week hiatus between episodes this week because of the late start times and all the back-to-backs and all that. Not sure when I'll be back with another episode. It might be later this week. It might be, might be next week. I'm not sure. But whenever it is, I'll talk to you guys then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.